Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the January 2024 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Ramel Noche, and I'm your host for this episode. Hello, my name is Justin Cook, and I am a third-year medical student at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Association Between End-Stage Renal Disease and Major Adverse Limb Events After Peripheral Vascular Intervention by Babari and colleagues. Purpose. To examine the effect of end-stage renal disease, or ESRD, on the likelihood of major adverse limb events, or MALES, in patients with Rutherford Category 4 through 6 critical limb ischemia who underwent percutaneous vascular intervention, or PVI. Materials and Methods Two contemporaneous cohorts of patients who underwent PVI for symptomatic critical limb ischemia from 2012 to 2022, differing in ESRD status, were matched using propensity score methods. This database identified 628 patients who underwent 1,297 lower extremity revascularization procedures. Propensity score matching yielded 147 patients. Kaplan-Meier and Cox proportional hazard analyses were used to assess the effect of ESRD status on males stratified into major amputation and re-intervention. Results. After PVI, 31.3% of patients in the matched cohorts experienced a male and 15.6% experienced a major amputation. Cox proportional hazards analysis revealed that ESRD was an independent predictor of male with a hazard ratio of 3.15 and a p-value of 0.001, major amputation with a hazard ratio of 7.00 and a p-value of 0.002, and below-knee amputation with a hazard ratio of 7.56 and a p-value of 0.008. Conclusions. ESRD is strongly predictive of male and major amputation risk, specifically below-knee amputation, in patients undergoing PVI for Rutherford Category 4 through 6 critical limb ischemia. These patients warrant closer follow-up, and new methods may become necessary to predict and further reduce their amputation risk. Hello, my name is Colin Staniford, and I'm a second-year medical student at the Kirk Kerkorian School of Medicine at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I'll be reading the abstract titled, Percutaneous CT-Guided Cryoblation for Locally Recurrent Prostate Cancer, Technical Feasibility, Safety, and Effectiveness by Ramalingam and colleagues. Purpose, to assess the feasibility and safety of using CT guidance for ablation of prostate cancer in the salvage setting. Materials and methods. This institutional review board approved retrospective study of consecutive patients who presented with prostate cancer recurrence and underwent percutaneous CT guided cryoblation 
was conducted between July 2020 and September 2022. A total of 18 patients met the inclusion criteria and a total of 19 procedures were performed. Demographic details, pre-ablation and post-ablation urinary, rectal, and erectile function assessment, procedure details, and pre-operative and post-operative imaging findings and prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, values were reported. Results. The mean treated tumor size was 15.7 millimeters, plus or minus 6.2. Technical success was achieved in 18 of the 19 procedures, with one procedure aborted due to inability to obtain a safe claim. The mean follow-up time was 10.0 months at the time of manuscript preparation. The mean TSA before ablation was 8.1 nanograms per milliliter, plus or minus 9.3 and post-ablation PSA nadir was 2.6 nanograms per milliliter plus or minus 4.0 with a p-value of 0.002. Of the 18 patients who had post-operative imaging, 88.9% had a complete response and 11.1% had residual disease. Overall, 16 of the 18 treated patients demonstrated a PSA and or imaging response to ablation. Mild adverse events occurred in 22% of the 18 cases. Conclusion. CT-guided cryoablation appears to be a technically feasible, safe option for treating locally recurrent prostate cancer. Hello, my name is Anna Hu, and I'm a third-year medical student at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I will be reading the abstract titled, Hydrogel Augmentation of the Lumbar Intervertebral Disc, an Early Feasibility Study of a Treatment for Discogenic Low Back Pain by Beale and colleagues. Purpose. To assess the safety and effectiveness of intradiscal hydrogel in patients with chronic low back pain due to degenerative disc disease that has been refractory to conventional medical management. Materials and Methods. 20 patients aged 22 to 69 years with numerical rating scale pain of greater than or equal to 4 were enrolled. All patients with chronic low back pain resulting from degenerative disc disease confirmed by imaging and discography received injections of hydrogel at one or two lumbar levels from August to December 2020. The primary safety endpoint was freedom from serious adverse events. The primary performance endpoint was successful gel delivery into the desired disc. Patients were also assessed on the numerical rating scale pain as well as the Oswestry Disability Index. Results 19 patients were followed up at a mean of 131 days, and one patient was lost to follow up. Preliminary results showed significant reductions in median numerical rating scale back pain from 7 to 1, with a p-value of less than 0.001, and median Oswestry Disability Index scores from 54 to 2, with a p-value of less than 0.001 at 6 months of follow-up. There were five significant adverse events, and four of the two were determined to be associated with treatment. Conclusions This early feasibility study has shown that the implant is safe with no persistently symptomatic significant adverse events and demonstrated effectiveness with significant reductions in pain and improvement in function. This early feasibility study indicates the possibility that hydrogel may be effectively used to treat painful degenerative disc disease and chronic low back pain. Hello. My name is Jack Fickey, and I'm a third-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. 
I'll be reading the abstract titled Progression Toward Vertebral Collapse of Vertebral Metastasis Treated with Percutaneous Vertebroplasty Rate and Risk Factors by Dargelos, Descubes, and colleagues. Purpose To evaluate the rate of and risk for progression toward collapse in vertebral metastasis treated with percutaneous vertebroplasty, or PV. Materials and methods. A total of 151 PVs were performed in 81 patients with vertebral metastasis and were retrospectively analyzed. Follow-up imaging was performed at 12 months to measure vertebral body height and to report vertebral collapse at the level of the treated vertebrae. Vertebral characteristics such as spine instability neoplastic score, or SINs, number of lysed cortices, and prior radiotherapy, and procedural parameters such as SALU score, cortical contact with cement, and intradiscal cement leakage were compared between the group of patients with and without collapse of the treated vertebrae. Results. Of the vertebrae treated with PV, 41 of 151, or 27%, progressed toward collapse. Vertebral collapse was influenced by a high SINs value, a SINs value above 9, intradiscal cement leakage, pre-existing spinal deformity, and pre-existing vertebral fracture. A high SALU score, more than three cortices in contact with the cement, and preserved spinal alignment were associated with a lower incidence of collapse. Conclusions. Rate of vertebral collapse, despite PV, was influenced by vertebrae-specific characteristics and by cement-injecting quality. Vertebrae with a sins of less than or equal to 9 and with homogeneous cement filling had a lower incidence of collapse. Hello, my name is Eric Chang, and I'm a third-year medical student at the University of Illinois in Chicago. I will be reading the abstract titled, A Pilot Study of Percutaneous Cholecystoenteric Anastomosis, A New Option for High-Risk Patients with Symptomatic Gallstones, by Berrigan and colleagues. Purpose, to evaluate the safety and effectiveness of percutaneous cholecystoenteric anastomosis creation in patients with indwelling cholecystostomy tubes who are high-risk surgical candidates. Materials and Methods 14 Patients 10 male and 4 female with a mean age of 79 years with previously inserted cholecystostomy tubes underwent percutaneous cholecystoenteric anastomosis with the adjacent duodenum using a lumen-opposing metal stent between January 2015 and October 2022. Interprocedural adverse events and post-procedural safety and effectiveness outcomes were evaluated. Nine procedures were performed under sedation and five under general anesthesia. Results Technical success was achieved in 100% of the patients. In 12 patients, the existing cholecystostomy tube was removed after the insertion of the lumen-opposing metal stent. Three patients had a pre-existing cholecystoduodenal fistula in which the stent was placed, and 11 underwent creation of a de novo anastomosis. The mean procedure time was 1.5 hours. The mean length of stay after the procedure was 2.4 days. There were no intraprocedural adverse events. One patient with severe pre-existing cardiac comorbidities died during his post-procedural stay despite a technically successful procedure. One patient had delayed closure of the long-standing cholecystocutaneous tract. Conclusions 
early clinical experience with percutaneous cholecystoenteric anastomosis using a lumen-opposing metal stent suggests that it is a safe and effective option for the creation of internal gallbladder drainage in patients who are not candidates for surgical cholecystectomy. Hello, my name is Brian Ng, and I am a fourth-year medical student at St. Louis University School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Measurement of the Tumor-to-Normal Ratio for Radioembolization of Hepatocellular Carcinoma, a prospective study comparing two-dimensional perfusion angiography, technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin, and yttrium-90 spec CT by Brunson and colleagues. Purpose to calculate the pre-radioembolic tumor-to-normal ratio in hepatocellular carcinoma using two-dimensional or 2D perfusion angiography and compare it with that calculated using technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin single-photon emission computed tomography and computed tomography or SPECT-CT. Materials and Methods this prospective single-arm study enrolled 15 participants with hepatocellular carcinoma who underwent 2D perfusion angiography immediately before the enrollment and with the microcatheter located at the same location as technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin injection, after which SPECT-CT was performed. Quantitative digital subtraction angiography was used to calculate the area under the curve for the tumor in normal hepatic parenchyma, and subsequently calculate the tumor-to-normal ratio. The tumor-to-normal ratio was calculated from the technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin SPECT-CT and post-yttrium-90 Bremstrelung SPECT-CT using dosimetry software. Results The mean participant age was 64.1 years plus or minus 9.8 and the study included 14 men and 1 woman. The mean tumor size was 4.1 cm plus or minus 2.4, and all participants received segmental treatments with glass microspheres. The mean tumor-to-normal ratio calculated by technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin SPECT-CT was 2.28 plus or minus 0.89 versus 2.25 plus or minus 0.99 calculated by 2D perfusion angiography. For the 13 participants who underwent transarterial radioembolization, there was no significant difference between the tumor-to-normal ratios calculated by 2D perfusion angiography and post-Y90 spec CT. Conclusions The tumor-to-normal ratio calculated by 2D perfusion angiography correlated well with that calculated by technetium-99M macroaggregated albumin spec CT. We'd like to thank everyone who helped with this episode. My name is Siddhi Hegde. I'm a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I was your audio editor. You can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more.